Hello, and welcome to Theory Lab. I'm Joe Cotter of the American Cancer Society's Research Department. We fund all kinds of cancer research, including, including DNA repair, and that's what we're talking about today. All day, every day, every cell in your body is dealing with DNA damage. It can happen from sunlight, it can happen from you know, uh, chemicals in the environment, even in your own body. And fortunately for you, your body is really good at repairing DNA when it's damaged, but sometimes it's not repaired properly. That can lead to mutations. It can lead to cancer. So my colleague Mike Melner spoke with Dr. Alex Wu of Harvard Medical School. He's in Johannes Walter's lab there, and they're doing great work. They've had a string of publications recently, including a first author one by Alex in Nature. And so they go in deep into DNA repair. And um, why don't we get into that right now? Well, so Alex, a... you've had uh, had quite a year. It's really a, a great showing in terms of high, you know, high visibility papers. Tell me something about your your system. This seems like a really powerful in vitro system to to start to dissect out what's going on with these uh, complex, you know, DNA damage such as DNA crosslinks. Can you? Tell me what, what you really like about this system. Yeah, I mean, so we use the um, Xenopus egg extract system. So these are extracts that are made from the Xenopus frog eggs. And they're um, highly concentrated for nuclear proteins. And they're able to support DNA replication. So, you know, you can put in DNA um, into these extracts and they'll um, replicate these the, the DNA. What's important about that is that we can put in you know really defined DNA substrates, so plasmids that have a site-specific damage incorporated in them, and then uh, that allows us when we replicate it to see what happens to that lesion when it's replicated. And this extract has all the proteins required to repair those lesions. Yeah. So. You know, this, uh, this, these in vitro systems always strike me as part science, part art, because uh, people, it's not like a cookbook where people say, oh, I'm going to replicate that, and they, they get all the instructions and all the materials, and they do it, and nothing works. Um, did it take you some time to build up to getting the system to work, or was it? Um, well, the system itself was already sort of up and running, and in Johannes Walter's lab by the time I got here. So in a sense, no, you know, I got here at a point where everything was already working, but you're right that, you know, these extracts are kind of like art. It's, it's a little bit tricky to get to work, you know, even when you're in a lab where everyone's using it, you know, often it's just, it's a very um, tricky system to get to work very well. So I, I think there, there's a lot that you know, there's a lot we don't really know about it, too. It, it's kind of like, you know, baking a cake or something like that. <laughs> you yeah. might get something a little different each time. It's kind of interesting that the ubiquitin, ubiquitilation is involved in this process. This E3 ligase that, that you found associated with uh, essentially degrading, helping to target and degrade these uh, DNA crosslinks, uh, from what I understand, there's huge number of E3s, maybe 400 to, as some people think, as high as 600 or 700 different E3 ligases. 
did the one you find is it do you think it's highly specialized for this function or do you think it it has other functions within the cell um yeah so it, it's true that you know there are hundreds of e3 ubiquitin ligases um, encoded in our genomes and you know in general it can be quite difficult to find out you know for any given e3 what its substrates are and vice versa if you have a known modification to find the e3 we were trying to find the e3 ligase that does this process that we were investigating and uh, you know we had mass spec um, experiments that we were doing um, you know trape the e3 that we found was one among many ligases that wasn't covered by this you know it just so happened you know we made an antibody and and depleted it and saw the effect that we were looking for and i think it is you know highly specialized in that um, other e3 ligases don't do this we depleted many other e3 ligases that, that don't have this function but then the question is does trape have other functions in the cell and i think the answer probably is yes i mean part of the reason this is kind of touched on so many projects in our lab is that it, it is a multifunction, multifaceted protein. And also, you know, there have been reports from the past that have implicated TRAPE in, in diverse um, other functions that we haven't investigated yet. So I know in uh, Johannes's lab, they've also got this really cool, I think, single molecule system we're starting to tease apart what's going on. Um, have you utilized that for any parts of your work? Well, um, it's great that you mentioned that because we I am just starting to use this. So I'm going to tag this E3 ligase, um, the fluorescent tag, and then um, put it into this single molecule replication system, uh, which we call Kermit. It's like an acronym that plays on the fact that it's frogs <laughs> and um, um, we'll be able to see you know the dynamics of the recruitment of this enzyme and, and really understand how it's regulated because um, one of the key functions that we've uncovered for this enzyme is that it removes stalled replosomes from DNA which you can imagine is has to be really regulated because you don't want that to happen during normal DNA replication but it doesn't seem like it's Re regulated just by coming to stalled uh, forks specifically. Um, there seems to be some kind of activation, but uh, I think that a single molecule experiment would be a really powerful way to address this question. So it's in the works. Yeah, so there must be multiple mechanisms which are causing stalling. Do you guys have a feel for what's going on? Yeah, so, you know, the study of stalled replication forks and stress replication forks is just a very vast field, and it's been studied for a long time by many people. You know, the causes are, are many. They could be damage to the DNA template that um, happens really continuously to all our cells all the time due to endogenous and exogenous, you know, agents. Also, things that alter the metabolism of um, nucleotides, the nucleotide pool, and things like that. So in our lab, we're specifically studying lesions that block the progression of the reposome. So 
that's like cross-links between the two strands of DNA and when proteins get cross-linked to the DNA. And, you know, it's really interesting to try to figure out what happens to a replication, you know, machinery when it collides with this sort of barrier. And it's interesting from a, a clinical standpoint because a lot of the common chemotherapeutics that are used to treat cancer, like cisplatin and etoposide, um, I think act at least in part by generating these types of barriers, um, which are really toxic and that's exploited for chemotherapy. So we, one of our fairly new ACS research professors out in Stanford is Carlene Semprich. And, you know, all these events that are occurring in the nucleus simultaneously, she's now found this really interesting, these really interesting R loops in DNA when that form when you when you essentially almost cause transcription to stall. Mm-hmm. And you, it's like the RNA in the DNA form these sort of back loops, and then and this R loop is a single stranded loop, which then becomes a potential site for. DNA damage and repair. And it just strikes me that there's all these events occurring simultaneously within the nucleus often, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of room yeah, <laughs> for that's all these true. things to occur. Yeah, I think it's really quite an amazing feat that a cell is able to copy its entire genome so accurately and quickly. And, and the R loops you speak of, you know, um, that is uh, another type of barrier that replication forks um, run into that, that is very interesting. The issue for us studying that is that transcription is, is, is silenced in, in frog eggs. And so you have to be able to overcome that sort of silencing to get transcription to happen in this extract. And so uh, there are people in the lab that are working on this problem, but it would be very cool to be able to get uh, RNA polymerase stuck on your DNA substrate and see what happens when the replosome hits it. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. It also sounds like more art, again, with trying to get in vitro transcription. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's another one of those things that, you know, it's, you know, we're going we're gonna to make these extracts, here's the recipe, but somehow doesn't seem to work all the time. <laughs> yeah. But this, this extract is, is just really amazing because these processes, all of them, um, whether it's replication, transcription, these repair pathways, they all involve, you know, scores of proteins. What happens can be a very coordinated sort of set of uh, reactions. And I think that the extract allows us to be able to reconstitute these things um, in a way that, you know, we can't yet with purified proteins. It's a very powerful system. So Johannes is, you know, is one of these big famous labs. Uh, describe what it's like being a postdoc in a lab like that. Do you essentially have your own project and then sort of keep to yourself, or is there a lot of collaboration amongst the lab personnel on, on some of these projects? So it, it sort of depends. I mean, so when we I first got here, Johannes was very concerned about, you know, making sure that we all had our own sort of space. Do you know what I mean? So that we weren't kind of fighting with each other um, or having our projects really overlapping. But we're all working with the same extract. We're all 
really trying to understand the same broad question, which is, you know, what happens when replosomes reach these barriers. So it's often the case that our projects do intersect with each other. Like, for example, this trape thing, I think the reason we've had such a flurry of activity recently is that this this one protein seemed to touch on many projects. And so, of course, there was a lot of collaboration. And so I think to answer your question, you know, it, what it's like is, you know, we have our own projects and we sort of know what it is that we want to focus on, but it's, it's just inevitable that we end up working with our lab mates and it's can be a really fun experience. It looks like on one of your papers, uh, it moves from from looking at this repair to you know, essentially looking at almost chromosomal level DNA re re rearrangements during cell cycle. Yeah, I think when I started on this project, you know, I was interested in a really specific question, which was you know what happens to the replosomes that get stuck at ICLs, and using that question. Uh, we first identified this E3 ligase, but then we quickly found out that that was just sort of the tip of the iceberg because uh, really this this E3 ligase controls yet a different path of uh, pathway of um, ICL repair, and it dictates the choice between those. So that was one aspect, and then another aspect is that for replication forks that persist on DNA once the cells entered mitosis. Um, now, this is a problem because if you try to segregate the chromosomes with those, um, you'll end up with chromosome breakage and rearrangements. And um, it turns out that TRAPE is, it looks like it's essential to remove replosomes for, uh, from chromatin during mitosis. And this will allow for the processing of these forks um, in a more controlled manner. This is in collaboration with David Pellman's lab, but we're looking into what are the consequences of, of this, these sorts of events during mitosis. It sounds like TRAPE is incredibly important from a cancer point of view. I mean, if there's anything that uh, alters the function of TRAPE, that could be a major problem for all kinds of events that would increase the, you know, DNA damage, lack of efficient repair, and potentially causing, you know, more more types of cancer. Yeah, I certainly think that um, is quite likely, although it's been quite difficult to study TRAPE's functions um, at even the cellular level, because it's an essential protein. If we uh, knock it down, the cells are very sick, and if we 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 can't knock it out. Um, so we, we're um, my lab mate is working on making um, cell, cell lines that where we can study trapes function. So it, I think that's a really interesting question. And I, I also think that you know um, the fact that trape can dictate the choice between various repair pathways for, for ICLs, um, whose repair we know is important for um, the prevention of cancer and also the treatment of cancer. I think like that is another aspect where look to be able to improve chemotherapy by controlling TRAPE's activity. That's just an interesting concept. I don't really know 
at present um, how that could be achieved, but um, I think conceptually it's it's a possibility. Okay, thanks for listening. That was Alex Wu, an American Cancer Society postdoctoral fellow at Johannes Walters Lab at Harvard Medical School. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab. Thanks for supporting the American Cancer Society. You can learn more about the cancer research we're funding and conducting, along with our patient services, early detection, treatment, and education by visiting cancer.org. Thanks a lot. You'd be good.